I think of the song, I don't know if you've heard it or not, but it talks about your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. And that is, that is so true. God's love never fails. And, and as I approach this message, uh, we, we talked about the foot washing ceremony last week where Jesus actually washed the feet of his servants. And then in that same room, he washed the feet of the disciples that would desert him, the disciple that would deny him, and the disciple that would betray him. And as we approach this, I approach this not as someone who is perfect, but as someone who has been Peter, someone who has been Judas, someone has been the disciple that ran. We all at some point have failed Jesus. And uh, I was reminded of a, a speaker, his name is Mike Iaconelli. They called him Yak. Mike Iaconelli, he was a former youth pastor and pastor and an author and writer that started a, a organization called uh, Youth Specialties that we used for years in youth ministry. And, and he died way before his time. He died in a car crash in 2003. And, of course, you, you see his picture. And, and a lot of times that picture is him well-groomed. Most of the time his beard was twice as long and his hair was four times as long. He was a mess. But I tell you what, he... He just had a way of, of, of speaking and a way, he had a great honesty about him that, that often in the 90s was, was much different than what was out there. Because during that time and even to this day at some point, I think that as we look at religion as a whole, it can tend to be plastic and fake and unattainable. And folks, I'll tell you what, if we, through religion, put the bar so high that people feel like they can't jump, they'll just stop trying. And he just really had a way of being gut-level honest, and sometimes to a fault where he would get flat for it. But, but he wrote this quote about spirituality, and I wanted to, to read this to you. He says, For as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a godly person. But when I look at the yesterdays of my life, what I see mostly is a broken, irregular path littered with mistakes and failures. I have had temporary success in isolated moments of closeness to God, but I long for the continuing presence of Jesus. Here is a man that millions of people looked up to as a spiritual leader, and he's saying, I have my moments. I'm not there yet. But I know that Jesus being with me is what I strive for. It sounds a lot like those writings that Paul would say in the New Testament. As I was, uh, I stand before you today, I am not a person who is perfect, but one who is in the process of becoming perfect. I'm not there. You're not there. But... We are going to be there because Jesus Christ is the author and the what? Perfecter of our faith. When that sky splits and we are called home, we who believe in Christ will be made perfect. 
I was finishing up some business in Spartanburg a week ago, or a, a couple Fridays ago, and, and I knew it may be some time before I would head that way again, so I did what any good Spartanburgian, I guess that's what you call them, anyone from Spartanburg would do. And if you're from Spartanburg or know about Spartanburg, you can, you can feel my affection here. I knew I wouldn't be there in a while, so I went to the Beacon. You ever heard? Yeah, Rick. I see that hand, brother. Cheddar cheese aplenty. And I got it greasy and I got a lot of it. I didn't eat it all, thankfully, but <coughs> it was it was just one of those things that, that when you're in Spartanburg and you haven't been there uh, at that restaurant in about two years, you do. I think the doctor would approve, right? But uh, they had the, this TV sign there and, and businesses would would advertise and churches, and I saw one, Hub City Church, and their slogan was this, and I'll probably uh, borrow that at some point, but I loved it. Their slogan for their church was, no perfect people allowed. No perfect people allowed. I love that. Because I hate to tell you, your pastor is not perfect, and there's somebody here that might be able to tell you why. But you know what? None of us in here are perfect. Our families are not perfect. And that thought has just resonated with me over the last week as I have prepared uh, this message. What we see in the message today is an example of two, and I use the term godly loosely, two godly men. One was definitely godly. The other one was godless. But two people who were assumed to be godly that failed miserably. One was destroyed And another was restored. And their examples beg us to answer these two questions. Let me show them to you. Number one, why do I fail Jesus? Now, those of you that are perfect, this message is not for you. You can go on and and wait in line. But why do I fail Jesus? Why, when I try my best, when I go to church and I have the best of intentions, why do I sometimes mess it up royally? And then the next question that follows that up is, what do I do when I fail Jesus? Well, we learn from the scriptures here how these two men responded. And the first thing we see is, and I'm thankful for this, Jesus demonstrates patience with Judas and his failures. Jesus demonstrates patience with Judas. Now, we have been brought up to know that the term, the name Judas is synonymous with betrayer and scoundrel. And bad, but he was a man and he was a man that was in proximity of Jesus. Let's read verses 18 through 29. It says, I am not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says the one who eats my food has turned against me. And I tell you this beforehand, so that when it happens, you will believe that I am, there's that that statement, that I am, the name of God that we see in the Old Testament, that I am the Messiah. And I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. But then verse 21 says, Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, He's looking around the room and he says, I tell you the truth, someone, someone will betray me. 
The disciples looked at each other, wondering who it could be. They're like, you know, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Not, not me. It's not me. Who could it be? And they're all looking around. And then Jesus, or actually Simon says in verse 24, Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask, motioned to him to ask, who is he talking about? So the disciples leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? That'd be like you sitting with someone and they say, there is somebody that has done something really bad. And you in the group, what do you want to know? Who is it? Just tell me. And they say, oh, no, I can't. Oh, we won't tell anybody. Yeah, right. You just, you got to know, don't you? These disciples have got to know who is this guy that he's, that he's, uh, he's dropping a dime on, that he's telling on. Jesus responded, it is the one whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he dipped it, he gave it to Judas, Simon of Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him and Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. And then since Jesus was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or give some money to the poor. So, so we, as we read this, when Jesus says you go what you need to do, we know what Jesus is talking about, don't we? Go ahead. It's time for you to betray me. But the disciples were clueless. Yeah, he's going to pay the bill. And so as, as we extrapolate a little bit here, we see that Jesus' two main concerns on the night of the foot washing and the Lord's Supper. Number one, Jesus' main goal was, is, it always will be to fulfill his Father's will. And not only to fulfill God's will, but to fulfill his word. You see, everything that Jesus did, he was fulfilling prophecies about himself in the Old Testament. And his second goal was to magnify the glory of God. And here's the thing I want you to see. Check this out. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that he would fail him. But what we fail to see, if we don't look for it in the scriptures, Jesus gave Judas every opportunity to come clean. Every opportunity not to do what he was going to do. Jesus knew what Jesus was going to do, but he did not pressure him to do it. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance, it hardens others into their sins. I mean, think about it. Think about all of the things Judas saw. Saw Jesus do. The teachings that he heard. I mean, he would have been... He would have been, in most churches, he would have been considered a deacon or a saint because he was with the disciples and he was everywhere that Jesus went. On the outside, he had every opportunity. And here's the thing. Look in verse 18. He says, Jesus says, the man who eats the bread from me, you know what that meant? They passed the food to the right. So where was Judas sitting? At the place of honor. At Jesus' right side. Matter of fact, we know that because when Jesus leaves the room, in Luke we see that the disciples started arguing, well, who's the greatest among us? 
Who's going to take that seat? Who's going to be the best? And so they just, Jesus has just washed their feet and they still don't get it. And if you go back and you look at this with Judas, there is actually in Psalm 41 verse 9, David says the very same thing, that the one who eats my food has turned against me. And not to go into a whole other sermon about that, but again, David was the precursor to Christ. And what was going on was uh, Ahithophel was one of David's greatest supporters. Try to say that five times fast. Ahithophel. Can you say Ahithophel? It's kind of fun to say it. Say it. Ahithophel. Ahithophel. There you go. Now you learn one name that you couldn't pronounce when you came in here. So Ahithophel, David's closest man, turned his back on David, started following his son Absalom, who wanted David's crown. Stabbed him in the back. And so we see prophecy unfolding. Now the difference is, did you know that Ahithophel and Judith, they both committed suicide by hanging. Both of them. So, same quote that Jesus uses, same situation, same demise. But Judas did not hang himself to fulfill the Old Testament. Because that would mean, if we say, have you ever thought of this? Well, God meant for him to hang himself. God meant for, Ju- for Judas to hang himself. That would mean that God ordained sin. And God used sin. And that is not God. God does not use sin to accomplish his purposes. And then so uh, we see that Jesus was concerned not only for Judas, but the example that he was setting. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making an appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Folks, we are God's ambassadors. He demands our loyalty and he deserves our loyalty. And I want you to see again, Jesus' love protected Judas. Jesus' love protected Judas. I mean, think about this. What if, let's say, Scripture's written differently. And the whole scene went down. All of a sudden, we see that Judas calls out Judas in front of the disciples. What do you think would happen? A big argument? Maybe a fist fight? Maybe worse, because what did Peter do when Jesus is arrested? He cuts the guard's ear off with a sword. He's a fisherman. He picks up a sword that he has nothing to to know about, but he is full of emotion, and he whacks the guy's ear off. That kind of of reckless abandon, they could have very well killed him. He was protecting Judas and giving him every opportunity. Every opportunity. Until verse 27. Until verse 27 where he says, When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Satan entered into him and then Jesus told him, Hurry and do what you're going to do. Here's the problem with Judas. Judas spent every moment of his time with Jesus thinking about himself. That was his downfall. Judas was so concerned with how he could get more out of being 
around Jesus. So what does that mean? That means if you waste your life pursuing your sins, rather than Jesus, Satan may very well enter you. There are many Christians that ended up in ungodly, awful lifestyles because they wouldn't quit looking at an image. They wouldn't quit taking the substance. They wouldn't stop lying. They wouldn't stop abusing. So what we see here, listen to me, my friend. And I'm not saying as someone who is perfect. I want everybody to just take a minute and listen. If you and I have a sin in our life that we do not let go of, eventually God will say, okay, big boy, okay, big girl, you can have it. And when you're done, I'll be here. Because I love you. But Jesus gave him every opportunity. And week after week after week, people come into the doors of their church where people that are, that are lost. And Jesus has given them one more chance to accept him. But yet, one day, that there won't be that chance. Judas sinned because he willfully knew that he was sinning. Let me just say this. Why do people sin? Does the devil make you do it? All preachers, you don't understand the kind of adversity I was under. The devil was all over me. That would be like me going to a, uh, the, the sweet shop and saying, Oh, dear Jesus, don't, don't make me eat that chocolate cake with a fork in my hand. We sin because we choose to. Not because the devil makes us. Not even because Jesus allows it. We choose to disobey God. And we know that this is premeditated. Why? Because in the other Gospels we see Judas had already gone to the Jewish leaders and negotiated the price. 30 shekels of silver, right? 30 pieces of silver. And I will point him out by a kiss on the cheek. It was already done, folks. Jesus, and, and the thing that scares me about Judas, folks, is that Judas, even the disciples thought he was legit. Even the people that were, were following Jesus thought Judas is one of them. Our churches in America and all across the world today are filled with Judases that when Jesus comes back and the sky splits, there will still be high attendance in churches because they are spending time around Jesus without truly believing in him. We cannot hold on to our sin and hold on to Jesus at the same time. It cannot happen. Then we see that everything happens, whether it be good and bad, everything happens for the glory of God. <coughs> Verse 31 says this. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus says, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. What I want you to see in verse 31, this is kind of like when you're watching a television show or a movie, and all of a sudden you see the mood change in the room. Judas has left, and now Jesus has changed into imparting to the disciples his last instructions. 32, he says, 
And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will receive his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you a little while longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I washed your feet to show you my love for you. Now I want you to take this bowl or whatever and wash other people's feet. I love you. I showed you. I want you to show other people that you love them as well. Jesus would glorify God in his death. And Jesus will glorify God. Excuse me. We will glorify God in our love for Jesus and others. Let me tell you this. If you're not helping others, if you're not praying for others, you're not sharing Jesus' love. If you come in here and you sit and you soak and you sour, that's not love for God. Love for God is loving him and serving others. This new commandment to love one another. Folks, have you noticed? Have you ever been listening to the radio or something in your car? And you get out and you go in to get groceries or whatever you're getting to. And you come back in and you forgot to turn the volume down. And it's blaring. And you're like, oh my goodness. Or it's kind of like my wife and I are watching TV at night. And if we're eating, I can't hear that. Will you turn it up? And then magically, once she decides to go to sleep in the recliner for a little bit, that TV is so loud. I hadn't touched the volume. But folks, sometimes the volume gets so loud. And in our world today, the volume, if you look at the button, hate, is turned all the way up to not 10, but 11. Hate. We, we are no longer united by what unites people. We are united by what divides people. It is crazy. And how, how do we as little, little Christians in Holman Park, in Anderson, South Carolina, how do we change it? We are united, as I said, against those things that divide us rather than those things that united. Folks, there is no greater need today in this world than for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that there are many different opinions. Now, the flag is controversial. You can't even watch a stinking football game without getting into politics. And hey, I understand there are people on both sides of that. But folks, I'm sorry to say this. The United States of America flag is not going to unite us. It's a symbol of an America that's united, but it does not unite us. We are united in Jesus Christ. We are a nation that was founded on God's word. We left the church of England, an established church, so we could come to America to worship as God has called us to worship. People lost their lives and families to come over here to worship. And the flag is a beautiful thing. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, 
I get emotional every time I see a flag. And, and just the service that men and women have given, the sacrifice that families have made, it is just amazing. But folks, if all we talk about is a flag and forget the gospel, there will never be unity in that. Until we start to love one another, until we start to show that love and do as Jesus did, until we start to love our Judases in our lives, even though we know people will betray us, if we choose to love them anyway and give them every opportunity to come to Christ, that's how we will change our world. And the third thing we see that love for Jesus brings us from failure to faith. Starting in verse 36, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked, I'm ready to die for you. The same disciple that wanted to meet Jesus on the water. Jesus said, okay, come on, walk out. And of all the guys there, I thought, man, Peter's crazy. But he got out of a very good floating boat and he walked on water. Can you imagine that? Of all the people who have ever lived other than Jesus, Paul is the only one that knows what it was like to walk on water. And why did he get that privilege? Because he had faith. He had faith. And the same man that walked on the water is now in a different light. The same man that walked on water says, I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. And then Jesus says, die for me? i tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me. Not once, not twice, but three times that you even know me. Mm. Three times. Guys, again, this was the same disciple that walked on water. Is now going to deny Jesus three times? If that was, would y'all consider that? Raise your hand if you consider that a failure. To deny Jesus, the very one that you walked on water with? Absolutely, it's a failure. But I'm not throwing him under the bus because, folks, I could raise my hand for my failures too. And so could you. What divide is Jesus talking about when he says to the disciples, you can't go where I'm going. You can't do it. Well, there would be a divide between Jesus and the disciples that still exists today. And that is that barrier, not of sound and not of light, but of death and life. Yes, eternal life. The same disciple that had the faith to get out of the boat and walk on the water was the same disciple whose faith failed him when confronted about his association with Jesus. And here's the thing, remember, as I close. In that room that night, there was a betrayer, a denier, And all the rest were deserters. He still loved them. He still had a last supper with them. He still instructed them. All of the disciples, folks, all of them would fail at some point. But this did not keep Jesus from loving them and preparing them. The only thing 
that would bring Jesus, the only thing that would bring the disciples back together. If you think about it, the disciples didn't come back together, right? What brought them back together? All you got to do is look in the book of Acts, where Jesus started appearing to them, one after the other, in his resurrected sense. So here you go. Here's the aha moment. For all of you that have failed and are failing, those of you that have people that have failed you and that you have failed, the only thing that brings us together is loving Jesus. I know that sounds like top ten things that a preacher would say. You just got to love Jesus. That sounds very simple. But it's a lot harder than that, isn't it? If we love Jesus, we're going to love others. The only thing that would bring the disciples together was their love for Christ. And the same rings true for today in your home, in our church, and in our community in this world. Folks, you may not be failing today. You just very well may be finding your faith. And the thing I love about this is we talk about is that there's more to the story when it comes to Peter. And we'll get to that later. But yes, this is not Peter's best moment in history. But better days are ahead. And today might not be your day. And tomorrow might not look that much better. But if you have faith in Christ, your failures do not define you. It's your faith. And your faith in Jesus Christ. So stop failing Jesus today because he will never fail you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord. The Lord, among my list of failures, Lord, many of them, that you still have chosen to use me and restore me and redeem me. And my prayer is today that there's one person in here that does not know you as their Savior and Lord. This might be the last opportunity. If they'd like to know you as their Savior and Lord, if they would like to forget about their failures, cover them in your blood and be forgiven of their sins, they can pray this morning to become a Christian. If they want to, they can come down front and I'll help them with that. Or they can see me later. It doesn't matter. But Lord, today needs to be the day. This moment needs to be the moment where they have your grace and your mercy. The altars are open for those that want to pray. Someone wants to join the church, whatever it may be, Lord, may you respond. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand.